0: grace and peace to you, and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean O'Zaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now, this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in the series called The Storyteller, The Parables of Jesus. As Pastor Sean is now teaching in Luke chapter 18, it's the story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And you know, let's just say it. Some people get on our nerves, the way they drive, the way they eat, the way they talk. Well, isn't it nice Jesus doesn't feel that way about you? Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. But if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give also right there at reallife.org. Today it's part one of the message called Justified. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio.
1: The series we've been in is called The Storyteller. Because that's how Jesus carried out a whole lot of his public ministry. He told stories. And the beauty of stories is they give a a teacher, because the stories Jesus taught were called parables, and they're designed to communicate the truth. But stories allow you to choose settings. They allow you to choose characters. They allow you to do things that can create different nuances of truth. They can have the truth go deeper. We've talked about how we identify with story and how it connects. And today's story we're going to look at is in Luke chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn there? Luke 18, we're going to begin reading at verse 9. This is a story where setting and characters make all the difference in the world. So I just want you to to kind of pay attention to setting and characters as we look at this parable of Jesus. The message today is called Justified. Luke 18, beginning at verse 9. He also told this parable to, listen, some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So we, we, right away, Luke helps us out by identifying the setting and the audience, okay? The setting in the audience. And they treated others with contempt. And here's the story. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, let's just stop right there. Because there's a setting piece that we have to look at that's really important. Do you remember where they're at when this happens? They're at the temple. You, You know the temple is like a huge living illustration to the fact that we are all sinners. We are all broken. The temple was designed to take you gradually from the the outer court, the, the court of the Gentiles and then and then the outer court of the actual temple. And then into the inner court where you would have seen where you would have seen a huge altar, you would have seen what they called slaughter tables for the sacrifices because what was encoded into the DNA of the Hebrew culture was that we are sinners in need of a savior. Our sin is lethal. Sin separates us from God. It creates a natural death penalty. That was encoded into the culture. And there they are standing in one of the biggest symbols and then you go past that big altar and there is what we call the Holy of Holies. And you remember this it was so holy, so righteous, only the high priest could go there once a year. And when he did, they tied a rope around his leg in, in case he wasn't prepared well enough, and God killed him. Okay? You're like, God would do that? We're talking about the holiness of God. and in this, in this culture, they are having to recognize the holiness and righteousness. And they saw God with a high and lifted up reverence. And he is standing in that place. I don't know if if Jesus is trying to paint the picture of you could actually hear the sound of the sacrificial animals, but it's in that setting that he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, adulterers, like even this tax collector here. I fast, I tithe, I thank you that I'm not like the others. But the tax collector standing far off, he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. So you got again, Jesus is painting pictures here. One guy is clearly really pleased with himself and understanding, how, of course, how pleased God is. The other wouldn't even look up. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that you'd speak to us. I just pray that we would get it. I pray that we would hear the subtle nuances communicated through the setting, through the characters, and we would see ourselves. And we would hear what you want to say. We want to hear your word. And then give us the courage to act on it. In Jesus' name, amen. So remember, Luke starts out by telling us the reason and the audience for the parable. He told this to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, who treated others with contempt. Okay? His choice of characters is really significant and instructive. Because you got to understand, the parables of Jesus have taken on a life of their own in Western civilization. The people who say to me, oh, um, uh, the United States and Western civilization, it wasn't that heavily Christian influenced. That's all a myth. I'm just like, okay, dude, stop for a minute. If someone says, oh, he was really a prodigal son, do you know what that means? We all know what that means. People who've never been to church know, ah, yeah, he was kind of wayward, and then he kind of came back. You know, the prodigal son returneth, you know. You say, oh my gosh, she is such a good Samaritan. She really is. Do you know what that means? We all know what that means. She's a person who goes and just helps out, does good deeds. She's the good Samaritan, all from the parables of Jesus. This idea of a Pharisee. If you say, oh my gosh, they, are, they truly are a bunch of Pharisees, or they're kind of a little Pharisee. Even people who've never read the Bible know that that kind of means, oh yeah, that's a person who's kind of self-righteous and hung up on themselves and and they think they've got it all figured out and they look down on other people this story is one of the reasons we have that perception you need to understand when this story was told they didn't have that perception yeah i'm sure there were some people who didn't appreciate the the smug self-righteousness of the pharisees but you need to understand a pharisee was respected a pharisee was accomplished they were extremely disciplined they were someone to be admired and emulated in the minds of the listeners. The Pharisee, not only were they accomplished, but they were religious and they were pure. Jesus chose his character carefully. And then a tax collector. Now, we can make jokes about people who work for the IRS. I'm sorry to any of you who do. We Forgive us, please, okay? But you know, it's like lawyer jokes and stuff like that. We can, we can make all these jokes, but, but we, we know kind of better. Well, this idea, in this culture, a tax collector Yeah, this was a pretty scummy person in the minds of the listeners. He was dishonest. He was traitorous because he would cheat his own people on behalf of the Roman oppressors. These people are under the boot of the Roman Empire. They're being taxed out of their minds. They don't have a choice. And these were Jewish tax collectors working for the Romans, cheating their own people. He's a lackey to the Roman government. He's getting rich off the injustice poured out on his own people. His people are suffering, and he's profiting. That's a tax collector. So you've got to understand, Jesus chose these characters carefully. Now, the end result is obviously the point of the whole story. One went home justified, clean, and set free. The other remained in bondage to a sin, but it was not who they would have expected. This story is very uncomfortable in the cultural setting it was delivered in. It's an awkward story. And remember who the people are around. I'm sure the disciples were there. I'm sure other listeners were there. But he's kind of talking to a bunch of people who, remember what it says about them? They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And they treated others with contempt. I wonder if Jesus were telling this story in different settings in our community here in San Antonio. Okay, I think he would change the stories, but the ending would always be the same. He He would change the characters. He would change the characters he used, but the ending would always be the same. If he were in an affluent Northside Homeowners Association meeting, I think the characters would be one thing. The ending would be the same. If you are in an Side community meeting, the characters might be different. The story would be the same. A neighborhood gathering on the South or the West Side. I wonder how he'd tell it here in this church. The characters would change. The ending would always be the same. One walked away clean and set free. The other, not so much. And I find it interesting that really two sins are presented, but they're kind of one, right? They trusted their own righteousness, that's one, and they looked on others with contempt. But we recognize those are two sides of the same coin. And again, you can't miss the irony that they're in the temple. The visual, physical representation of our desperate need for a Savior of all of our unrighteousness. And the whole thing is summed up in this, in verse 11. That phrase he said, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men. God, I thank you, I'm not like them. God, I thank you, I'm not like other people. God, I thank you, I'm not like other men. There is so much sin wrapped up in that phrase. So much sin. In fact, I think the core of sin. I mean, we, would, we, we are like, we've heard this story, so we're like, I think, I hope, a little too smart and savvy to actually say that out loud. Okay? right? I hope. We would use the obligatory, I know no one's perfect, and oh, I'm not perfect, but, and then we would proceed, okay? That's how how we would approach it, because we're smarter than that, right? I thank you I'm not like, and you fill in the blank. I thank you I'm not like those greedy business people. Mm. Thank God I'm not like them. Thank you, God, that I'm not like those illegal aliens. Thank God I'm not like those Washington politicians. And I actually do thank God that we're not like that because we're way better than them, right? I mean, no, I'm sorry, I missed the point. The whole point. That's the whole point. That was wrong. Those Washington politicians, I thank God I'm not like them. I thank God I'm not like those gay people. Thank God. Thank God I'm not like those religious hypocrites. They're the worst. They're the worst. High and mighty thank God I'm not like those prima donna athletes. Thank God I'm not like that guy at my work who, you know, he's always got stories every Monday morning. Oh, my gosh. Or I'm not like that woman down the street who, who knows what's going on there. There's always something going on there. You know what I mean. Thank God I'm not like them. The, I want to suggest that is the core of the sin nature. And it's the point of Jesus' whole story. And if you're taking notes, write this down, because here's the main point. It is a basic, it is a core of our faith. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And note this word, all.
0: And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church, a listener-supported radio ministry, in this message called Justified. It's in the series, The Storyteller, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio.
1: And if you're taking notes, write this down, because here's the main point. It is a basic, it is a core of our faith. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And note this word, all. And it doesn't say we are all varying degrees of sinners. You know, certainly I'm a pastor. I'm kind of better than you guys, right? I mean, come on, be honest, y'all. You see, it doesn't work like that. This is a core understanding, a cornerstone of our faith. We are lost apart from Jesus Christ. I am as lost, you are as lost as the most, whatever you want to define as the most wretched sinner on the face of this planet. We are lost and separated and broken. We have a core nature in us, according to the Scripture, and according to the Scripture and, well, any news media outlet, Anybody who's read the scriptures or paid attention at all realizes, man, people have got an evil core. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there isn't potential for good in us because we were created in the image of God. I'm not saying that at all. There absolutely is. But apart from him in our rebellion, we are lost and we are all sinners, desperate sinners in need of a savior. And this cornerstone of our faith is more than just a theological idea. It is an extremely important and practical contemporary message for us as we face the stuff that we all have to face every day, as we read the stuff we have to read, as we talk about the things that we have to talk about. This is an extremely practical idea. I think there's a couple points worth noting that will help us out. I think Jesus would tell us, beware the myth of the good person. Beware the myth of the good person. Like I said, I'm not not saying we don't have potential for good and that we aren't created in the image of God. We are. What I am saying, what I am saying is that mankind is in rebellion against God and we have a sin nature, and that sin nature always wants to exalt self at the expense of whatever. Beware the myth of a good person. I can't tell you how many people "I, I would tell them about Jesus, but they're just such good people. They're better than anybody I know. They're better than anybody at my church. I mean, they don't really need Jesus. They're that kind of good. Um, I'm sorry to, to burst the, your bubble there. If you think that, you are absolutely deceived. I'm not saying they might not be nice. I'm not saying they might not be polite. I'm not saying they might not be a wonderful person. I'm just saying at their core, they have a sin nature just like you and I. And if you sat and talked to them and they were honest enough with you, they could tell you about it. See, this gets very real. Beware the myth of the good person. Paul wrote about it in Romans 3, 21 through 24. Look what he said. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. He's going to introduce how this happened. See, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God, his righteousness, real righteousness, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned. Wait a minute, look at that no distinction. For there is no distinction. You don't get to say there's degrees. Well, at least I'm better than them, right? There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. That's why we're so thankful for the cross. If we understand our condition, that the idea of the, the well, I'm better than them, you, you know, we love those comparisons because we get to pick who we compare to, Right? And we could try to find somebody and go, well, I'm clearly better than them. Look, I'm here on a Sunday morning, Sean. We gotta be pretty good, right? And we gotta be careful in the church. We can kind of start to believe our own press. You know? Because it is, it's true. We, we came to Jesus. We were sinners. If, if we didn't recognize our sinfulness, if we didn't recognize our need for a Savior, we wouldn't even be here. So th- we come to that place where we accept Christ as Savior and recognize my sin was killing me. And we repent and we turn to Jesus and we begin to follow him. And then we begin to do some healthy things. We begin to grow. We begin to mature. And that's where we got to be careful. Because we will start to do more righteous things. We will start to walk in the righteousness of Christ. But if we ever start to believe, oh, that means apart from Christ, I'm just righteous. We are walking in deception. And it's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And we, we love to find that person who we're kinda, we think we're better than, and we compare to them. You know, well, God, I'm clearly better than them because I know God's fair, and he's great on a curve, right? He's great. Of course God's great on a curve. Yeah, it, it's, see, that's not how it works. He talks about the righteousness of God. It's not me compared to this person, because here's, here's, maybe, maybe there are some people who I'm, I'm not quite as, as bogged down in the manifestations of sin as they are. And so here's them, and here's me. Okay? A pastor trying really hard to follow Jesus. Okay, there's us. And then there's God. And we keep, just keep going. You got, want to compare what we're supposed to compare to. The whole point of the law, we're to compare to the righteousness of God. And remember what the scripture says about our righteousness? It's like what? Our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's like garbage. See, don't buy the lie of self righteousness. It's funny, because when, with our bad behavior, we excuse ourselves, because we, we, we know the reasons. We, we have the excuses. And we look at other people differently. Like, oh, yeah, they're bad. Yeah, what they're doing is bad. Wow, they're, well, you know, just they're kind of a bad person. But with ourselves, we're like, yeah, but I had this reason. Yeah, but do you know what they did to me? And so we have all the internal excuses. Fact is, you and I are sinners who need a Savior. It's a core idea of this. And that idea is the beginning of really good things if we will really grasp onto that idea and understand the provision God made in the cross of Jesus Christ, so that we could be set free, our sins could be paid for, the barrier of sin could be removed, so that we could enter into the presence of God. You are a sinner who needs a Savior, and so is everyone else. And we really need to understand this, okay? I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and so is everyone else. That person who cuts me off on the freeway, the person who bothers me at work, that person who I just can't stand. Every time they come on the radio, I turn it off. Whatever. They're all, we're all a sinner in need of a Savior. Our president made a really ill-advised statement. Um, and you know, when I wrote this, I, I actually wrote that statement down, I think either Wednesday or Thursday. He's made like five since then, and I'm just really like, oh God. I read it again as before service last night, and I thought, well, that's kind of goes without saying, Sadly. He made a really ill-advised statement when commenting on the clash between protesters in Charlottesville, Charlottesville a few weeks back. Remember when he said there were good people on both sides? Remember that? And he got in a lot of hot water for that, a lot of heat, a lot of pushback. He would have been far more accurate if he would have said there are broken, guilty sinners on both sides. Because that's just empirically true. If he would have said there are broken, guilty sinners on both sides, that would have been an accurate statement. Beware the myth of the good person. Beware appearances. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. A second thing that this brings out is a really, I I just want, this is such a cornerstone idea today in our cultural kind of divided, the vitriol of our culture. Seeing myself accurately will change how I see others. Taking notes, write that one down. Seeing myself accurately will change how I see others. Others. See, that was the problem. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. That was the core sin. It's a false premise. God, I thank you I'm not like them. No, the fact is, I am. We're not different. We're the same. That's been one of my contentions as we have, you know, walked through and tried to have conversations about the big issue that has been last number of years in our culture of same-sex attraction the idea is because because one of the problems is all sides involved have said oh those people have same-sex attractions and as we talk about the lbgtq community they're different than us they're different than us and and that's the problem when you start to say that now you're kind of now you're on uh, you're on the wrong side of that discussion they're exactly the same as us They're exactly the same as us. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. Stop and think about it. Some people are like, well, but you know, there's a genetic orientation and there's that. One, let me just be real plain with you. Uh, If you actually dig into the science of that, that has never been proven. That is a very shaky idea. But even if it were, listen to me, even if it were, you could say, yeah, no, there's genetic predisposition towards certain types of sin, So, what? Let me tell you something. We all have a genetic predisposition towards sin. It's called the flesh, it's called the carnal nature. What's your genetic predisposition? I've told you before. I've told you before, people could say, Well, you know, I I just have a bad temper. I'm Irish. It's just in my blood. I can't really help it. So, when I get angry, I have to punch people in the face. That's what I do. I can't, nothing I can do about it. Please, I need a safe space to be able to punch people in the face it's like, well, that's ridiculous. You can control those impulses. What if it's true? What if it's true that some families, they're a little more fiery in their temperament. They're a little more prone to, there's good sides and bad sides. But yeah, there's a little more of a temper. Do we say, well, then you can punch people in the face? No. No, that's a, if it's a genetic predisposition, whatever, it's a carnal nature thing towards sin. And you can, in Christ Jesus, be set free. You can say no. You can say, Lord, fill me empower me and set me free from that sin. How about the person who sins in regards to same-sex attraction or, or opposite-sex attraction? The guy who just looks at girls and goes, man, I just I have a high sex drive and so therefore I can't help it. I can't say no. We would look at that and go, that's ridiculous. Of course you can. Of course you can. And in Christ Jesus, you can be set free. In Christ Jesus, you can be made whole. You can be set free in him. See, we're not different We're the same. I don't care if you're the self-righteous church person who looks at someone in the gay community and goes, that's revolting. That's gross. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Before God, so is your sin. So is your sin. Or I don't care if you're on the other side and you go, well, they can't help it because they have a gene and you just can't. I'm sorry. They're not different. They're not different than me. They're the same as me. And Jesus' call and his invitation is the same. His love is the same for them. That's why we have good news for people who wrestle with same-sex attraction. You can be set free like we all can be set free. Come, come along. Let's be set free by Jesus. Let's do it together. It's powerful. It's powerful. You see, that's, the root of that is the sin of looking down on other people. You know why we put other people down? We put other people down out of pride because we want to exalt self in some perverse sort of way. Like I said, if I make them lower and I build myself up, and then I feel a little bit better. And it's pride. And that's the root of sin. And we all struggle with it. So if I put other people down, then I kind of feel a little bit better. Let me ask you, who do you look down on? Who do you look down on?
0: That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, The Storyteller, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page, or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262 as Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.